I want to read to you just a little story from that book, this guy named David Fitch, that we've been sharing as part of this Flourish series. My name's Shell. I'm the lead pastor here at Pilgrim, and again, we're delighted that you gather both regulars and guests, uh, and it's wonderful to see God is doing a work in this church. Uh, God has been moving in Pilgrim, and I think we've been seeing some, some new things, new ground broken up and new seeds being planted. In fact, at the prayer meeting on, on Friday night, that was one of the images that someone believed the Lord gave them of, of seeds being planted, both of children, I think literally, but also spiritually, people coming into the kingdom and wrestling with that. And so God's doing a work here. We are full on in a revitalization mode as a church. We know that if we don't change, we will die and we have no right to go on as a church unless we focus on what God has for us for a new season. And so this is an exciting time to be part of a pilgrim. It's challenging season to be part of pilgrim. But in Jesus, it's three steps forward and two steps backwards, and then three steps forward and then two steps backwards, but always moving forward in one way, shape, or form. Uh, so we're, we're excited about that. Uh, David Fitch shares this story. He says, as a pastor, I've encountered numerous conflicts in a church life, strife. Have any of you been aware of conflict in churches or any gathering of people anywhere? R- raise your hand if you've ever seen conflict in community. All right, and the rest of you will deal with your lying later, okay? Uh, <laughs> He says there's conflicts, and it's an inevitable part of life together with other people. I mean, there's the joke, uh, you get you know, a, a pastor, and they, a pastor can have a debate between theology within him or herself, uh, let alone add other believers or pastors in the bunch. He says this, uh, we, sometimes when this happens, as a pastor, I'm asked to mediate these conflicts, to make a judgment between two people and enforce it. Boy, I hate that role. I've learned, he said, however, I must reject this mode of operating. I must see this moment as the opportunity to invite these persons in conflict into the holy of holies of God's presence. In the Old Testament, the holy of holies was that inner sanctum of the temple, that sense of where God's presence was always there, and the high priest went in once a year. So when people say holy of holies in a Christian or Jewish continent, it means this place where God's presence is known and he says, I, one way I use that opportunity to invite people into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of Jesus Christ. And he says, if I do mediate between two parties who are in conflict in a church as a pastor and make a judgment on the conflict, you're right, you're wrong, this is right, that's wrong, inevitably, he says, one person will leave the church and another will stay. Inevitably, one person will leave the church and the other will stay. I've experienced that myself in pastoral ministry over these 21-some years. He says, if we submit together, though, if we submit together to what God is doing, God takes us together somewhere new in our lives we could have never anticipated. This is the big flip in terms of doing conflict differently if we truly believe the words of Jesus. He gives an example, and he says this, One time, a newly widowed woman lost her husband, Emily, in our church, the one he was talking about in Chicago, outside of Chicago, was overburdened with taking care of her two children, and she had been homeschooling them, while also holding down another job. So this mother just became widowed, became a single mother through death, was homeschooling the kids, and now had to take on a job. She was overburdened. The other woman in the church, Sylvia who was a social worker, offered to help her. She sacrificially gave many hours to working with Emily's children, and one of the children had special needs. According to Sylvia, she believed that Emily was not taking care of her children's educational needs. 
After a few discussions with Emily about this, Emily asked Sylvia not to visit her children any longer. And see this escalation, right? Sylvia, in a huff, reported Emily to the department. These are people in the same church, reported Emily to the Department of Children and Family Services, charging Emily with neglect of her children. You can begin to see the justice issues and all of the things starting to come to the surface. David continues, he said, the resulting breach of trust could not have been any worse. When the pastors asked them to come together to mutually submit to Christ, we were refused believers in the same church. And Emily told the pastors to get Sylvia in line. And Sylvia said it was her professional duty to report Emily to the proper authorities. She was an expert. I'm an expert too. I have a doctor in ministry. That and $2.58 will get you coffee at Starbucks. There was no need for further discussion in Sylvia's mind. Two more times we attempted to bring them together. The third time the pastors sat with each one and asked what they were afraid of. We talked about the kingdom and the way of God works through his presence coming into these spaces of conflict. Nonetheless, both Sylvia and Emily refused to give up the authority of their positions. I am right because I am the mother of the children. I am right because I am uh, empowered by the state. They refused to give up their positions of authority and their positions as parent and social service professional. Both left the church. And our body was poorer for it. What would God have taught our church about leading our children if they had actually practiced some form of reconciliation? And he finishes this story by saying this, disagreements, conflict, and even oppression are signs that we are engaging challenging places with the gospel. Let me say that again. It is very good. Hear this, please. Disagreements, conflict, and even oppression are signs that we are engaging challenging places with the gospel. Churches in mission, reaching out, should welcome disagreements as signs that God is moving and he has come to be present among us. They are signs of his faithful presence. You've all heard the different cliches. If everybody likes you, you must be doing nothing. (laughs) Or for the pastor version of that or leadership version of that is if you want everybody to like you, go sell ice cream, right? Even that's tricky in Vancouver. Is it gluten-free, vegan-free? What kind of ice cream is it? But nonetheless, go sell ice cream, but have options. (laughs) I want us to dig into this Uh, practices today. We talked about the three circles that we are to be living in as followers of Jesus. We're going to unpack that again. And then we're going to talk about this practice of reconciliation. There are seven practices. We talked about the table uh, last Sunday. We're going to talk about the second one, reconciliation. And then I'm going to encourage you to watch the videos, YouTube it, Google it, or get the book uh, and do that uh, on, on your own. But our leadership team will eventually be reading through this book as well. And we, I encourage you to do that. But I want to pray, and then we're going to dig in a little deeper this morning. Are you glad you're here today? I, you know, I, for me, there's always a wall. I was saying this is the prayer thing that on Friday nights, which we do twice a month now. There's always a wall. And I'm a pastor, and I've been doing this both vocationally, professionally, and a believer of Jesus, and staying a full-time Christian as well, by the mercy of God through it all. And I still experience the wall. There's actually a pastor cartoon that says, honey, I don't want to go to church this morning. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, lay in bed. And she kicks him and says, you're the pastor. You don't have a choice. So, um, 
You have a choice. You made it here this morning. You pushed through the wall. Praise the Lord, right? Uh, sometimes I have those weeks too. I'm like, oh, there's been so much stuff and drama and this and that and work and da 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 and then, you know, life and, and uh, sometimes I have that. But you push through it. It is always worth it. Always, always, always worth it. You got to remind yourself when you're encountering that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this house. And for those that you've gathered here today in this space, and we know that when we gather together in in community, whether it's in this worship context or in our home church face-to-face or around our table in neighborhood potlucks and gatherings, that you there, you are there, that you, if we attend to your presence, you are present there in a unique way. We know the enemy fights against that. We know our body fights against that. Sometimes our temperament, our personalities. But when we gather, we experience the blessing of gathering when Jesus is the host. And so, Jesus, you are the host today. And your word is the centerpiece. It is the bread we eat this morning. And so let us dive in and experience the nourishment that we need more than just physical bread in this house to live. So move in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. I'm always, it's a joy to always gather when I push through that wall, right? (laughs) So this morning, you can see on the wall that we've added our vision statement and some of the key words. The key words are on this side and the full statement is on that side. And um, we've been unpacking a little bit of that in this series in January about how do we uh, be with God and helping people flourish. How do we make space for the kingdom and how do we practice shalom? And these are things we come back to all of the time because they make us up as humans. We're wrestling with these all of the time. So first off, let's review the three circles. If we can put the three circles on the screen, these are from David Fitch's work, Faithful Presence and Seven Practices. You can see this is also in your handy-dandy outline this morning. Hopefully you got one of those as you grabbed a newsletter and there's discussion questions to go deeper in a home church this week, and we encourage you to do that this week or next week whenever you can make one of them that is meeting. So you can see there's these three circles that David Fitch speaks about. And the first circle is the one of the close circle, the close circle. And this is what we're doing right now on Sunday morning, this close circle, people who are committed to or curious about Jesus enough to show up to a worship gathering. I was just reading about a worship gathering in the United Arab Emirates that meets in a hotel and this mega church has formed and they have like four or five services in this hotel of 4,000 people. And the UAE is trying to give more religious freedom. It's mainly people working in the country but because it's illegal to convert uh, or to try to proselytize a Muslim. But there's also growing a church within the UAE as well. And the royal household, there must be some opening there. Or somebody had a vision or dream of Jesus. They just can't go public about it. Who knows? Who knows why? But there's an openness there. They're gathering. That's a close circle, even if it's 30 to 60 people, close circle, uh, or if it's 4,000 people, they're, they're tending to the presence of Christ, and Jesus is the host when we gather. I'm not the host. I mean, in one sense, yes, we're all the hosts uh, here at Hospitality, but the real sense when we gather in this kind of worship gathering, when we sing those songs to Christ and to the Holy Trinity, we're saying, God, you are the host. You are the one. You are the reason we've gathered today. We gather on Sunday uh, We can adjust it as well. We're pragmatic, but Sunday, traditionally, the day of the resurrection, Jesus is the host. And this sense of tending Christ's presence when we gather, we don't just come to go through this and dread ritual, dry ritual, but that there is power in this gathering because Jesus is tangibly present in his community when we gather in his name. So this close circle, we we, we live in that circle, but we fail if we only live in that circle. 
In fact, if we only live in this circle, we are sort of in that maintenance mode. You can see this sort of this white wall, the maintenance mode. We're hunkering in the bunker. And too many churches in North America may be burned out from evangelism tactics that worked back in the day but do not work in post-Christendom or a changing culture have gone to the hunker in the bunker mentality. Oh, it's so awful. Oh, things are, we just need to hold on and we just need to hold on tight until Jesus comes again. And oh, dear Lord, look at what's going on in this world and look who got elected. And oh my goodness, look at my neighbor. Look at all. And it's this woe and fear and all of, and this sort of hunker down mentality. But that is not the power of the church. You see, the church has outlasted empires with all of the latest weaponry. The church has outlasted regimes that have tried to control and dominate with all the latest technology of their eras, and it happens again and again. There's always an antichrist in every generation, by the way. There's power here that we don't have to hide it under a basket. So we move also into the dotted circle. We move from maintenance mode. Let's just keep the lights on. Let's keep a pastor. Let's do whatever whatever we consider maintenance. We just do that. And then there's a second circle, the dotted circle, which is open. When we begin to understand that we are called not only to gather, but to scatter into our neighborhoods, that you've been given a house, an apartment, a condo, a place you live, that that's not just for you, but we are to steward those places. We are to learn to be invitational, and we all struggle with that. We wrestle with that. We need to clear up more space in our schedules. If we filled it too full of kids in 15 different sports and 90 different instruments and we're working at six different degrees and four different jobs, we need to figure out how to clear out that space. Church used to try to schedule the saints, get them in a building. That's what counts. As long as we're all in one building together, that's what counts as success. Baloney. What counts as success is gathering and scattering and seeing that we are engaging in our neighborhoods as believers and creating welcoming spaces. We have barely scratched the surface of what home churches and home gatherings can do in this church. But I believe God has a vision for us for greater things in the neighborhoods where we live in Vancouver. We'll talk more about that in the months ahead. But this idea out there, we now are the hosts. Jesus has hosted us at the close circle. Now we are the hosts in the neighborhood. And then the third circle is where we are the guests. We are the guests. This is like where Jesus speaks about in Luke, this idea of the sending of the 70 or the 72, and that we go out, and we go out, and it's interesting, he sends us out without, he says, don't take extra stuff with you. Let the people host you, and if they don't host you, move on, but keep going out. There's an outward thrust of the kingdom as well, where we're releasing control. Jesus is the host. We are the host in our home, but we release control and even in that and now in the community. Excuse me. He hosts. We are also received as guests and we release control. Now, of course, if you got saved out of some awful thing, a community of addicts, a community of um, maybe a really tight religious group, maybe your half circle is not going to be the same thing that Jesus took you out of because you don't want to fall back into that. For others of you, you may have the strength of Christ. It's such a break that you can go into anywhere. The key is that you are strong in those first two circles in order to live into the third circle. And all of them are where we experience Christ's presence. There's more we could say about those circles, but I'll read a quote from David Fitch. He says, this faithful presence, being faithfully present in those three circles, tending to the presence of Jesus 
in all of those circles because he's active everywhere. He says, faithful present names the reality that God is present in the world. He's not just present here. He is present here in a unique way, but he's also working out there. We have to figure out how to create space to experience his presence in our workplaces, in our relationships, in our friendships. Faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that God uses a people faithful to his presence to make him concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. But it doesn't just happen. We have to have practices that shape us to be a community of faithful presence. It's quite the quote, but it's a good one. It's something we have to develop practices to do this. It's great that I'm teaching about it, wonderful, but if we don't develop practices as a church to do it, it doesn't leave, it doesn't leave past, the, it doesn't even get out of this room, right? We have to develop practices. Good news is Jesus gave us at least seven practices we can see. We talked about the table last week. This week I want to talk a little bit about reconciliation. Look at your neighbor and say, stay awake. Okay, all right. Are you awake? You're awake? Amen? Yes? Okay. Are you tracking? Is this making sense? Mostly? Yeah, okay. Some of you will have to listen again. It's online later today. Go do that uh, and wrestle with it. So the last part here, we want to talk about the practice of reconciliation. You can see these seven practices listed on the screen. The Lord's table today, we're talking about reconciliation. And then there's five other ones that uh, he unpacks as well that are all directly related to practices we see in the New Testament of the early church. So today I want to talk a little bit more about reconciliation. Let's read together from the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Paul is talking about the message of reconciliation. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, which was a growing, messy church in a cosmopolitan city, very much in some ways we might say like Vancouver, although their sexual mores were even way worse than Vancouver's, uh, but lots of stuff going on, worship of idols, all, all kinds of crazy stuff. And he says this to the church in chapter 5 of this, this longish letter. He says, so then, if anyone is in Christ, so when you say yes to Jesus, you receive his spirit, you're baptized as a public declaration of that. He says, so if anyone in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. And that's a tension we live into where there's a newness in Christ and we live in between the age. But here is a verse that very much talks about the fullness that has started when you become a Christian. The old has passed away, the new has come. That's good news. There can be a new, new in your life through Jesus and his grace working within you. That is excellent gospel right there. That's something I could just camp out and have a little like old-timey revival on right there. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look what is new has come. Half the times the battle in Christianity is understanding that God has birthed something within you and you can live into that or you can choose to keep going back. Oh, it's good stuff. But then he says this, and all these things, all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. As a believer, you have the ministry of reconciliation. This is not optional stuff for Christians. Unfortunately, some Christians have treated it as optional. Churches has lined itself with power in the world that has forgotten the power of Jesus and the Spirit of God and reconciliation. 
The church has forgotten that it's not about uh, nickels and noses. It's not about uh, the stuff or the, the physical. It's about this ministry of reconciliation, about people, about relationship, about covenants. Who has given us this ministry of reconciliation. You are called to be a reconciler. Doesn't mean be a doormat. But there is a, a ministry of this. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Oh, oh verse 19. Doesn't that just, there's like gospel just all over that. Judgment is when I hold your sins against you. You have offended me. You have sinned against me. And some of it may be absolute real pain, hurt, and loss and grief. Forgiveness is when I say I release you from my judgment. Now, that's not yet fully reconciliation, but it opens the door for the possibility of reconciliation. Forgiveness is saying, you know what? I'm not going to let unforgiveness, bitterness, brokenness poison me any longer. Forgiveness is sort of a step one of what allows for reconciliation. But some of us have been trained by the world. And David Fitch would put it this way, that we are trained to believe certain things, ideologies, and those ideologies are fueled, get this, they're fueled by antagonism. Us versus them, in versus out, this versus that, antagonism, constantly having this sense of strife and enmity, and there's ideologies are fueled by this. There are belief systems that the world wants us to have in our core identity that are fueled by dividing and judging and holding other people in judgment. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. I'll unpack that again. The world's way of operating tends to be through ideologies, whether it's a political ideology, uh, it can be a religious system, it can be all kinds of things, uh, it can be our cultural ethnic identities. There's ideologies, and what makes an ideology an ideology is what sustains it, what's its energy that keeps it going is antagonism, that I am against something or someone or some other group. The thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says that way of being human, which is absolutely common, is not how God designed it to be. We can celebrate difference. We can have good. There can be a positive side of that. But to actually drive ourselves by antagonism around difference, that is broken. That is sinful. That is destructive. In Christ, that's good stuff. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against him, their brokenness, they're fighting, and he has given us this message of reconciliation. Uh, I got to keep going. It's good stuff, though. Okay, verse 20, last verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know, Trudeau just fired our ambassador to a mainland communist China. I don't know if you saw that this uh, yesterday. I think he got fired. You know why he got fired, right? Because he forgot who he represents. Maybe got a little bit too much money and some good drink from President Xi and decided, forgot who he represents. Trudeau had to fire him. It would make so much, many of us would make better ambassadors to mainland China than that guy. But anyway, whatever, okay. But I digress. Come on, give me a fake laugh, something, I don't know. He forgot who he represents. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Have you forgotten who you represent? As though God were making his plea through, I'm going to say, you. We plead with you. On Jesus' behalf, be reconciled to God. And I'll add verse 21 because it's so good. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us 
so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, of breaking down antagonisms and ideology. You have been given the ministry. If the Spirit of Jesus Christ is within you, we, are chose, we choose to live differently in the face of disagreement and conflict and strife. Reconciliation is something we do if we claim to follow Jesus. And I'll be honest and say it this way, it's the most counter-cultural, pick your culture by the way, any of our cultures, any of them, whether we're talking about church or ethnicity or national culture, whatever culture, it is the most counter-cultural thing ever. We are taught to stand up and fight, to have our truth, to believe in our secular ideology and that it's all important and worth dying for. We are taught to be antagonists. To live in a state of constant irritation, irritability, antagonism because our ideology is worth so much. And Jesus says, no, it's not. For we are all created in the image and likeness of God. He loves everyone. He died for everyone. That we might be reconciled with him and therefore we now have the faith and the energy and the spirit of his love working in us that we might live differently. When you go to work tomorrow, note the antagonisms within your workplace. What are the ideologies that are being propped up, whether it's corporate or individual? Note in your neighborhood what is being driven by this antagonism. And we are all susceptible to it. I certainly am. I love watching politics, and now I'm living in two countries. Boy, how much more team, how many more teams for me to watch? It's not enough days, not enough hours in my excess day, hours in my day to read all that stuff. Driven by antagonism. Reconciliation we are called to as followers of Jesus. David says this is so good, I want to read this quote verbatim. Exactly. He says, every neighborhood... Every social gathering and meeting place is a flowing stream of antagonistic, broken relationships. And if we as followers of Jesus, as we sit and tend, which is to be aware of, to make space, to still our hearts and minds enough, tend to Christ's presence among these various places, neighborhoods, social gatherings, meeting places, these various places, the occasion will arise to offer the reconciliation of God in Christ to the whole world. i got to get to the last part of this piece here, but it's, it's so good that we understand this. If we as pilgrim people understand that we are on a journey with God wherever you are this week, and you begin to look and say, how can I respond differently or be an agent of change in these environments? Did you know that can break stuff open for the kingdom of God in ways that you've never seen before? There's potentiality here. There's an opportunity for the kingdom to break forth. And I believe there are many hundreds and thousands of people, let alone ones and twos that we know, that are waiting for the sons and daughters of the Most High God to take on their underpower, their authority from below, and use that in a loving way. But here's the key to this understanding how this works. The key is submission. Submission. Say it with me, submission. <laughs> Look at that, all of you antagonistic folks. Didn't say it. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Say the word submission with me. We'll say it together. One, two, three. Submission. It's not a popular word today, especially in light of many who have abused power, rightly. 
But understood rightly, it can be a rich word of affirmation and value and care when we submit to one another. Not out of political correctness or duty, but out of reverence to Christ. Space is opened up when we take the power under, to use Yoder's language. And the kingdom of God breaks through and reconciliation can occur. It's often messy, it's often painful, it requires laying down power control and our preferences and our masks, but ultimately it is always worth it. The thing is, we don't want to lay down our power control and preferences and our masks because we are buying into ideologies that give us this sense of what power control and preferences should be. And those ideologies are sustained by our antagonism. But when we submit, and I'll give some examples of what this might look like or sound like, it allows Jesus to break through. Let me read you one more passage. And I tell you, are, are you with me today? I, I got, it's not long, I know, but it's kind of involved, right? Okay, all right, are you still with me? You're with me. Sister in the back with the glasses, you're with me? Okay. She's not asleep yet. Give her a little nudge if she, you know. Matthew 18, I want to read one more passage today. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, gives us one model of doing this in our lives and in our circles, church and in the larger world. But Matthew 18, Matthew's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right after the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. Matthew 18 says this. Let's start at verse 15, Matthew 18. Good stuff. He says this. When he says brother here, he means brother or sister, man or woman. He says, if your brother sins, if your brother sins and go, it sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you've regained a brother. So there's step one. If a brother sins, go and show him his fault. And if the two of you, when the two of you are alone, if he listens to you, you have regained your brother. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others with you so that the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established. And this is pulling from Judaism here in terms of the testimony and witness uh, required number. And then verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or tax collector. And then he says this about forgiveness, verse 18, I tell you on truth, whatever... I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. He says, I tell you the truth, if you agree on earth about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it. For where two or three are assembled in my name, I am there among them. And he's talking specifically about this issue of forgiveness and reconciliation and the authority of the church of binding and loosing people. So first, to practice this submission if you're offended or someone sins against you, and keep in mind there are caveats. If this is truly a massive abuse of power, you don't need to go one-on-one. You need to probably go straight to the two-and-three situation with people that can be trusted and by both parties or at least that you feel safe with. Um, Those are exceptions. Those are not most of our conflicts in the church, but they do exist, so I do want to say there is a caveat how we apply this. Um, If it's an abuse situation, you don't start with the going alone to someone who is the abuser. That's that... I just want to state that. That seems obvious to me, but I've learned over the years that's not obvious to everyone, and I've heard horror stories, uh, and so and been involved in healing with people that have experienced this uh, and were told to do this when it was a situation where there was a power dynamic, there was uh, different kinds of abuse going on. You no, know, you don't do this in those situations. You have to understand some other pieces in terms of how you do this in a way that's safe and doesn't re-victimize someone. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Okay. But most of the time, most of our conflicts are not that. <laughs> so, caveat aside, caveat 
put out there. Now the rest of it. First, we're to go privately and directly to the person who has caused you pain and hurt. To listen and be listened to. And this assumes there's a Christian context here that you go to them. And he says, so there, if there's unresolved sin or, or conflicts, and we're trying to learn in community, go to them. If you can release it as an offense and it's not going to change your relationship, then release it. But if you can't, go to them. Say it with me, go to them. Say it like you mean it, go to them. <laughs> go to them first. If I'm upset with Fu about something, and we mess this up, I don't get this right all the time, even as a pastor. I know some of you thought I floated in here this morning. I assure you I did not. Fu and I, I don't think we're currently in any conflict, so I think this is safe. Uh, although I may find out later, <laughs> there is a conflict now. Uh, do not point me out on Sunday morning. Don't use me as an illustration. Um, and, and, and I'm upset about something. Oh, I hate how he always ends that one song. I mean, dear Lord, what's going on there, you know? Uh, and instead of talking to Fu, I talk to, I call Manfred up. Manfred, I got to tell you. Thanks for working on the stairs, by the way, Manfred and the team that did that. Uh, but Fu, the way he ends this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it drives me batty. And then, and then I call someone else and I, I say, uh, Wing, David, uh, boy, that song. I mean, if I go to everybody else before I go to Fu, you know what I'm doing? I'm allowing an antagonism to take root in my heart and I'm getting drawing others into an antagonistic thing and now I'm building a whole ideology about how you end the song, how great thou art. Seems stupid. Silly if you step back. But we do that. And that's how the enemy can work in a body or in a community to build up strife over this stuff. And before you know it, it snowballs. Well, I don't just like how he ends, how great thou art. Have you heard how he sings the song, Ancient of Days? I don't know if you've ever sang that song here, but whatever. And you begin to build on this antagonism. Well, what am I doing to foo? <laughs> I'm saying that he's not worthy of respect that I would come to him first. And we may still agree to disagree on how he ends, how great thou art, but at least we've had this conversation. And in that case, I don't think it's a sin issue so much as it's just a, a preference thing, right? But we do that all the time, and the enemy gets a foothold in the church. If you're upset about something, put down the phone unless you're calling that person or the email. Oh, email is wonderful. Even better, texting or tweeting. Jesus, help our politicians, right? Antagonism. He goes on and says, if no peace is reached, the second part of this passage, if no peace is reached, if no agreement is reached and understanding, then we get two or more people as witnesses. This forms a space among a little bit larger group, among us, to tend to the presence of Christ in the midst of conflict. Or as Ken Sandy said, we're stewarding our conflicts. That may include repentance or sharing of Christ's peace. As believers, we are doing this under the lordship of Jesus. But if there's still no agreement, then you get a larger community involved. And the community, in our case, may mean the elder board, the board, or a town hall if the whole membership is involved. But we listen to the gifted ones in our midst, and we hear the gospel, and we try to discern and cultivate. And Fitch gives us some language to say. He says this, we will say, based on Scripture, my prayer life and what I know from last week, I believe God is saying whatever we sense God is saying, and I submit to you. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? He says we need to use this of coming to agreement guided by the Holy Spirit and stay in mutual submission, assuming that we are in the same close circle, that this is how we approach this. James 5, 16 says, confess one to another. 
We need to have this sense of we submit to one another as we submit to the Lordship of Christ. That is a different way of being church, of being human. Well, I've got to save my reputation, my honor, my face. We, in brothers, sisters in Christ, all of the different ways we define that in all of our different cultures, we come and we say, no, I submit to you. I see it this way, now I submit to you. And we listen, we open up space. Can we learn to do that? Most of us are old dogs at this Christianity thing. Can you teach an old dog a new trick, as the saying goes? Can we learn this? In our home church, in our huddles, can we do that? If good home church is when you've had some real conflict and you've worked through it, and now you're deeper. Too many Christians have the first thing they don't like or rubs them the wrong way. They may chat to everybody but the people in the thing, and they flee. Can you go deeper? In Jesus, you can, and new community can happen. Reconciliation is saying we will do life differently in the world, not by power over, not living as the Gentiles do, as Jesus said with his disciples about who's going to sit at the right and who's going to sit at the left. He said, no, no, but submitting to one another out of love because of what Christ has done for us. And when we agree, he tells us in Matthew 18, when we get to a point of agreement about the situation, even if it's agree to disagree, if it's not a sin kind of thing, uh, but if we get to some sort of agreement there, he said people are released and sins can be broken off of people. New life can burst forth. We are ministers of reconciliation. But you can see in your notes that there's some ways to look at this in terms of the three circles. This may look differently when we get to the half circle where we're dealing with people that are far from Christ or not interested, but we can still use the language even in the half circle of coming to someone and say, I believe I've wronged you. I believe maybe my forebears have wronged you. I repent from these wrongs. How can I work with you to make things right? We can use some of this language even in secular context and it opens up space. One of the most powerful things I remember even at the meeting house and the meeting house had traditional teaching on Christian marriage and sexuality, but trying to find a new posture. Uh, Bruxy, the senior pastor of this mega church in Toronto, said to those that are identifying these various sexual minorities within this Canadian culture, he says he repented for the way the church has treated people. Not that he's agreeing, mind you, so there's a different, understand there's, this is nuanced here because we are complex, but he said he repented for when the church has not acted like Jesus when people are faced with the various issues in their life. Sometimes Baptists, we have this, uh, we have this, uh, hmm, at least in the States, maybe not in Canada as much, but there's this view that we've got the word. And by golly, may the Lord help you if you don't agree with me and what I see in the word. We beat people with our Bibles, verbally. We take the gospel of light and love and salvation from sin and deliverance, and we turn it into new bondage, just like the Pharisees. Bam, 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 with the word of God. Maybe some of our posture in our community, when we have people that have left the church, says, this word is so glorious and wonderful that forgive us for our arrogance of assuming we have a corner on the market The word stands above us. We do not stand on it in that sense. Maybe our posture needs to change in that outer circle in our community. 
to open up space for Christ's presence and reconciliation to happen here in Vancouver, here in Sunset, South Hills, Soma, whatever neighborhoods these are that we live in and we inhabit, Burnaby and Surrey and other places that we live in. Can we be the agents of God's reconciliation? Can we take up the mantle of bringing God's shalom into the neighborhood? Can we see that God is at work, but we must make space. We must change how we think about the gospel. We must learn Matthew 18. We must understand James 5. We must engage these texts in our actual living. And so I leave you with this today. And worship team, you can come up as we prepare to leave this morning. Worship team, come on down. (laughs) Let me leave you with this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, the reconcilers, for they will be called children of God. The kingdom of God is always coming to life among those who are about making peace. Peace flows out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be As Paul says, ambassadors for Christ, the ministry of reconciliation, because of what he has done. It's rooted in Jesus and his power. And if we've received Christ, we have that power working within us. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. First John talks about this. And so we have Christ's power working within us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But so often we default to antagonisms and ideologies of the world around us. And so take this with you this morning. We are called to be present to bring face-to-face change. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of constructive, nonviolent tension that is a key to making space for Jesus' presence in the world. Constructive, nonviolent tension. That's coming in this submission. That's coming in in these different ways than what our world and our cultures have bequeathed us. Can we do that? And I say that knowing where I stand. I say that knowing who I am as well. If we want to make real change, we must sacrifice time, other engagements, some of our leisure or leisure and hobby time to be present with others on their terms, not always ours. David said in his neighborhood as an older white male in his 60s, there was an issue of injustice going on and he was like, well, we need to do this and we need to do that. And he had someone in his church say, no, no, no you need to find a way to be invited into this situation by those that are experiencing the conflict. Don't keep doing that 60-year-old white male thing. How do we do that as a community? Interesting. And it may not be that, but you may be the person of power. If you're the person of power in the relationship, you need to find ways. You lead with your submission. You lead in that way instead of power over, power under. The other takeouts this morning is we have to learn to inhabit our neighborhoods. Yes, we live in our neighborhoods, but do we inhabit them? Do we understand there's a habitat, there is a whole thing going on, and God is at work? We need to be present at local tables, at local marches, at every conflict in our churches we can see as opportunities to be ambassadors for Jesus. God is at work in the midst of the conflicts And if we can bring the gospel of Jesus into them through our actions and our words, it can change lives and trajectories. Do you not know you are his ambassadors? Do you know who you represent, whom you represent? You are sons and daughters. Stand with me this morning while I finish this up. You 
are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are first and foremost a child of the Most High God. He has given you a ministry of tearing down walls, of outrageous love. Again, this is not to be a doormat. If you're hearing that, you're missing the gospel of peace. There is a time to stand up. But there's so many other steps along the way that can change the dynamics of our neighborhoods in our city. Pilgrim, God is doing something here. Will you be a part of that in your life? Undo antagonisms, unwind antagonisms wound up so tightly. Lay down ideologies that are trying to claim the place of God, for they will always fail. In the long run, they will always fail and be dethroned. Let us pray today. Lord, we've gathered together, and as we finish up this series on flourishing, I'm humbled to, to be honored to be able to wrestle with the word with these brothers and sisters and that they're going to discern and rip it apart and make it better in home church this week and next week. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but it's such an honor to be part of your ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people together around a center that is you. And God, we confess we've been driven by antagonism, whether it's ideologies of prosperity, ideologies of certain aspects of our cultures or families of origin, whether it's um, traditional injustices in North America or in other countries and other continents, whatever those injustices shape they've taken. We know that the world needs people who submit one to another and demonstrate your love. May we commit to be those people this day at Pilgrim because we are on a journey. We're not there yet. Let us not pretend that we are there personally, or as a community, or as a humanity. And so we come to you today and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Be the Lord in our conflicts. Be the Lord in our antagonisms. Come and take over. We, we submit to you. We yield to you. Help us to be those people. Kill the pieces of pride that are not of you, <laughs> that the right stuff can come forward, the right holy confidence can come forward. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.